there's a title for you, Growing in Maturity, Growing in Maturity, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. And I do want to encourage you to have your Bible open for you. It's a good practice for you to see what I'm preaching and, and, uh, and test and check what I'm bringing to you is God's Word. So growing in maturity. Let me give you a definition of, of the local church. So there's a very simple definition right at the top. The local church is a diverse body of sinners saved by the grace of the gospel. Would you agree with that? Is that a fairly simple straightforward definition of the local church a diverse body of sinners saved by the grace of the gospel now if that is the church right and that's 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 the definition from scripture and you've got your bible in front of you what is god's will for this diverse body or put it this way what is god's will what is god's desire for all his diverse bodies scattered all over the world wherever they are what's his will what's his desire for those bodies well if you've got your bible and have a look at the text you'll notice that it tells us what what it is look at those phrases in verse 12 so that the body of christ may be built up paul says in verse 13 and become mature verse 15 we will grow in all things or grow up in all things verse 16 grows and builds itself up like a good wine that matures over time god wants his church his bodies to mature over time this maturity is not an instant process but something that is developed over time now don't shout this out but ask ask this question or answer this question for yourself would you say that bbc is a maturing body or would you say it's quite childish you can tell me what you think after the service have a look at what paul said to the corinthians in 1 corinthians chapter 3 he said brothers and sisters I was addressing them as brothers and sisters. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Imagine the Apostle Paul writing that to us. If you can't say amen, you've got to say ouch. The church, instead of it being a maturing body, sometimes the church can resemble something of a war zone. I want to read something to you from the satirist Mark Twain, and I'm just going to quote it because it's so good. Here's what he said. He said, in an hour I taught a cat and a dog to be friends. I put them in a cage. In another hour I taught them to be friends with a rabbit. In the course of two days, I was able to add a fox, a goose, a squirrel, and some doves. Finally, a monkey. They all lived together in peace, even affectionately. Next, in another cage, I confirmed an Irish Catholic from Tipperary. And as soon as he seemed tame, I added a Scottish Presbyterian from Aberdeen. Next, I added a Turk from Constantinople. 
a Greek Christian from Crete, an Armenian, a Methodist from the wilds of Arkansas, a Buddhist from China, a Brahmin from... And then I added a Salvation Army colonel from Wapping. Then I stayed away for two whole days, and then I came back to note the results. The cage of higher animals was all right, but in the other there was but a chaos of gory odds and ends of turbans and feathers and plates and bones and flesh. Not a specimen was left alive. These reasoning animals had disagreed on a theological detail, and they carried it out to a higher court. End quote. It's satire. But in reality, when God saves a diverse bunch of sinners from South Africa, Australia, Turk, Turkey, England, China, wherever, when God saves a whole bunch of diverse sinners and puts them into a body, what sometimes happens? It could look a little bit like the satire of Mark Twain. Instead of it being a maturing body, it can sometimes resemble a war zone. So here is the question that this passage will answer. What are the maturing ingredients for a body of Christ? What are the ingredients that are needed if a body of Christ, if a diverse body of sinners saved by grace, what are the ingredients that are needed to move and keep moving towards maturity? I'm going to give you three ingredients from the passage, and then I'll end with some application. So here is the first one. The first ingredient for a maturing, growing body of Christ, a local church, is gracious relationships. Gracious relationships. If you've got your Bible, have a look at chapter 4 and verse 1. I've given it to you in the New American Standard because it's just, in this verse, a little bit more precise from the Greek than the NIV. Where Paul says, therefore... Therefore, in view of everything that's just come before, I, a prisoner of the Lord, Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, the therefore is therefore, and you say, well, what is Paul saying? He's saying, in view of every lavish spiritual blessing in Christ that we've just been singing about, right, and read about, in view of all the blessings of Christ, I want to urge you to live a life worthy of your calling together. In the context of the passage, to live a life worthy is to be a maturing, growing body together. And in order to do that, you need to seek gracious relationships that look like verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. A body that is growing, a body that is maturing, is growing in these gracious relationships, which is marked by humility and gentleness and bearing with one another in love. Have a look at this picture. I hope it's going to come up on the screen. It's actually an older picture. 
of, of, of the congregation of BBC many years ago. I didn't use the present one. I just used that one because sort of it's got people of past and present in there. So just look at that, and that's representative of the body of Christ at BBC, sort of past and present. When you look at them, and you might actually see your face in there somewhere, maybe. Some Caroline's looking really hard to see if she can be in there. Don't actually know who's in there. Now, if you look at that picture, you're going to see a whole lot of diverse sinners, right? They're from all over the place. They've got different, different backgrounds, different colors, different creeds, different everything going on. Uh, come from different places and cultures and ethnicities, nationalities. Now listen, when you put a whole lot of people like that together in one place, what sort of attitudes do you think you need? Humility? Gentleness? And bearing with one another in love. Have a look at this, uh, these definitions. I'm just going to put them up on the screen for you. Humility is restraining our sense of entitlement to be the focus of others' care and attention by submitting ourselves to others with respect. It's humility. Gentleness means dealing with other people with kindness rather than roughness, with empathetic compassion rather than demanding force, and soft encouragement rather than hard bullying. Patience means to be long-suffering of the faults of others and slow in seeking to rebuke them, recognizing that spiritual growth takes time and we are all a work in progress. See, the opposite of humility is arrogance. The opposite of gentleness is harshness. The opposite of patience is impatience. And those are all marks of immaturity. Those are things that break down the body. They don't build up the body. How do you nurture humility? Humility is nurtured when you know that you are a desperate sinner that has been saved by eternal grace and you know that all that you have and all that you are is by the grace of God. How do you nurture gentleness? You nurture gentleness when you understand and appropriate how gentle has God been with you. How do you nurture patience? You nurture it by knowing how patient has God the Father been with you. How forbearing has he been with you in your sin in his predestining love? I was talking to a, a brother in Christ a, a little while ago, and he just made this sort of comment, and he said, you know, Christians can be so ungracious with each other. They can be so not humble, so not gentle, so not patient. Christians can be so slow to listen, quick to criticize. Christians can be so fussed and furious instead of gentle and gracious. Let's have a look at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because I cut it off in the first, but have a look at what it says in the rest of the verse. Paul says the church is still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Do you see it? Jealousy and quarreling is a mark of immaturity. Humility, gentleness, and bearing with one another in love are the marks of maturity. 
And again, don't, please don't say this out too loudly. What do you think, BBC? Are we growing in maturity? Are we growing in gracious relationships? Are we growing together in humility? Are we growing together in gentleness? Are we growing together in a patient forbearing with one another's in with one another in our in our sickness and in our sin and in our weakness? I wonder what you think. I would love to know. So there's the first ingredient. It's gracious relationships. Here's a second ingredient from the passage. It's gracious unity. Gracious unity. Have a look at verses 3 to 6. There is one body and there is one spirit. And just as you were called to one hope when you were called, there is one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Gracious unity is a mark of a maturing body. Or to put it this way, a body that's growing in gracious unity is a, is a body that's growing. Unity in the body of believers is not uniformity. Whereby we all look the same, we all think the same, we all wear the same, we all sort of think in the same way in every iota. That's the mark of a cult, not a church. By definition, unity means being joined together as a whole. Joined together as a whole. The church is not a bunch of, of, of clones coming off a theological conveyor belt. Rather, we are a diverse body joined as a whole. But I want to break up this unity into two aspects, very simply. Part of this gracious unity, there is a gracious core. There is a gracious core. What this means is that a, a, a maturing body is a, is a body that is growing graciously together where they hold the core of the gospel together. And if you look at verses 4, 5, and 6, you see that core, don't you? Did you see it? There is one God, verse 6. Three persons. The Father, verse 6. The Son, verse 5. The Holy Spirit, verse 4. God has called us to one glorious hope, verse 4. One faith, one gospel, verse 5. And we have been sealed for this inheritance in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the core. That's the unifying center. That's the unifying whole. That's the theological core, if you like. And we are to hold this graciously. And what do I mean by that? We hold this core graciously together, and we hold it graciously to the outside world. Why? Because if we are in Christ, if we are in Him, it's all of Him and it's nothing of us. There cannot be any arrogance in the body of Christ because all that we are and all that we have is because of Christ, because of what he did. Do you remember Ephesians chapter 2? We were by nature objects of, of wrath. Now by his grace we are what? Objects of his mercy. You see, we hold this gracious core of one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father. We hold it graciously because 
It's all of grace. It's all of grace. I guess the question is this, BBC. Are we, are we growing graciously in our core convictions of the truth? Are we, are we growing graciously in our core convictions of the core of the gospel? Are we? But more personally, are you, are you humble in your faith? Are you humble? Is that what fellow Christians see? Is, that, is there a humility that your non-Christian circle sees? But there's a gracious core, and then part of this gracious unity is also the, what I'm calling the gracious disputables. Now, it's not directly in the passage, but it's indirect because Paul has defined the core, and therefore he's defined a core that are also what? There are all dis- disputables. There are those things over which Christians differ. That are, they're not the core. They're not the center. They're not the unifying whole. And you'll know what they are. I don't need to go over them again and again. Christians differ over the method and mode of water baptism. They differ over the end times. They differ over the length of creation. They differ over women in Christian leadership and so on and so on. We're not saved by any of those things. Therefore, we have to hold them what? Graciously with one another. We can get ourselves rather ungodly with one another when we expect other Christians to see the non-core exactly the same way we do. Now, I want to just say to you from very personal experience, you know, when you're very passionate about a secondary issue, you know, anybody out there with me on that one? Just one or two? Okay. When you're particularly passionate in a particular view, even though it's non-core, I mean, you really do want other people to see it the same way you do, don't you? We can get a little arrogant and we can get a little condescending when someone doesn't quite see it the way you do. Is that you? Is that you? There's a view that goes like this. I just want to touch on this. There's a view that says this. The Bible is clear in everything that it says. Right? So the Bible is clear in all that it teaches. So, if Christians differ on things, when the Bible's clear, what's the problem? Someone's right and someone's wrong. So if the church is divided over those things, the Lord is grieved over that division, and we should all be trying to get onto the same page in all those things that the Bible is absolutely clear on. Does that make sense? No. No. Let me show you why it's no. Because Romans 14 verse 1 is this one passage where Paul says, except the one whose faith is weak, What's next? Without what? Quarreling over? Disputable, non-core, secondary, non-salvation issues. You see, brothers and sisters, we have to be humble, gentle, and patiently forbear with one another because we're going and we do differ over the non-core stuff. 
BBC, are we growing in that area? Or is there squabbling going on? Is there quarreling going on? Are we maturing in that area? Or actually, are we like little children? Quarreling. Let me give you the third mark. I've called it gracious gifts. The mark of a growing body in Christ is that the body parts are using their gifts to serve the body parts. Does that make sense? A, a growing, mature body is, 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 where, is where the people are using their God-given gifts to serve one another. So just look at it. It's pretty straightforward in verse 16, and I'll, I'm going to come back around it. Uh, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love. What's that last phrase? As each body part does its work. So the mark of a maturing body is that the body parts are doing what they're supposed to do. Now, let's just back up into verse 7 if you've got your Bible. Look at what Paul says. He says, but to each one, uh, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And he's not talking about the grace of salvation here. He's talking about the grace of gifts. This is why it says, when he ascended, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, it can be quite a complicated quote. Paul's taken that out of Psalm 68 in the Old Testament, but it simply means this, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he saved his people, Right? When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven and poured out his spirit, he gave to his people gifts that they were to use for the body of Christ. So why has God, or why has the Lord Jesus given gifts to you? Why has he given gifts to us? Well, have a look at it again in the passage. Actually, it's not, in the, it's not coming up on the screen. Look at verse 12. So that the body may be built up. Look at verse 13. So that we may become mature. So verse 15, so that we grow up in him. Uh, verse 16, that we may grow and build each other up. I, I don't, it, it probably sounds a little bit 101 basics, but brother and sister, you have been given gifts by the ascended Christ. The gifts he's given you or the gifts that he wanted you to have in the way that he wants you to have them, in the measure that he wanted you to have them. So you can't sort of get jealous because you haven't got a gift that somebody else has got because why? Because Jesus gave you the gift that, or gifts that he's given you. And he's given you those gifts so that we can build one another up, so that we can grow together, so that we can mature together. So if we're not using our gifts with, for one another, building and maturing one another up, what's going to happen, brothers and sisters? What's going to happen if we don't? We're going to be stunted. We're going to be stunted in our growth and maturity. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if this is the Australian euphemism. This is not rocket science, folks. Is that Australian? Sort of. Okay. I heard it sort of said the other day and I couldn't remember it. It's not rocket science. And it's pretty simple when you boil it all down. 
Can I make it personal? Here we go. Here's number one. Right now, right now in this church, godly men and women need to step up into the leadership of this church. We need godly men to step up and be elders. We need godly men and women to step up and be deacons who who use their gifts of leadership. Brothers and sisters, we do not lack godly men and women in this church to do that. And if we're going to grow, if we're going to mature over time, then the godly men and women in this church need to step up. Let me make another one. I don't know whether you know this, but we currently don't have a music ministry leader. It's someone who chooses the music and organizes the music and puts the music together so that you can sing and we can sing together on a Sunday morning. That is sort of done in an interim way at the moment. We don't have that person. Let me make a third one. Would you say it's a core conviction for us at BBC that our children need to hear the gospel? Would you say that's a core conviction? Would you say that our children are a primary mission field? Would you say that? It's hard then, isn't it? When we cannot have enough kids' church teachers. When the body parts don't step up. I'll give you one more. There's a few others, but I'll give this one. Part of our mission team, we have a, we call them affectionately the magpies, and uh, we, we get together and we, we, we support and encourage our mission partners from Pakistan to Papua to wherever. Um, and, and we've got other local missionaries like Sarah Thorburn and, uh, and Beck Simmons. And you know, I, I need to be honest with you that we, we don't actually have enough people to support them properly. So it's not just us that are, in a sense, stunted in that way, but our missionary partners are not being supported the way they should be supported. I am deeply persuaded that this church does not lack the gifting for these particular roles. And therefore, I'm deeply persuaded that there are Christians in this church who are not using their God-given abilities and talents and efforts and time to serve. The result is not rocket science. The result is a stunted growth and maturity. And let me say this to you, that this is not a Bustleton Baptist unique experience. This is not, we're not the only church that ever faces challenges like this. God, when he puts a church together, he gives them all the gifts that they need in order to encourage and serve one another. And just, let me be honest on this as well, that There are very few legitimate reasons why Christians cannot use their gifts in the body. There are very few legitimate reasons why they can't serve. 
Do you know what's at the heart? I don't know if you picked it up in the passage. Did you see the heart of it? Have a look at it in verse 16 again. It's towards the end. It's in two little words. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in what? In? In love. You see, you can use your gifts in an unloving way, but it's also unloving when you don't use your gifts. I don't even remember the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, I think it's verse 24 or 25. He says to them, do everything in love. Galatians 5 verse 6, the only thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And you know what happens when a church grows in spectators instead of servants, don't you? Do you know what happens? When we grow in spectators instead of servants, you know what happens? The bulk of the ministry is done by very few. Someone put the analogy like this. They, they said that sometimes a, a church can be likened to a soccer match. 22,000 spectators desperately needing some exercise and 22 players desperately needing a rest. There's some truth. You see, and, and, and look, this is the truth, is, is that, that many Christians, they, 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 sort of, uh, they, they sort of compare Sunday church to a, to a, to a soccer match and, and view themselves as they're in the crowds, right? They're in the crowds, they're in the stadium, they're cheering on and they're watching their 22 sort of professionally paid expensive players. So the, so the, the Christians are in the crowds and they're just watching their expensive paid pastors do all the work and all the ministry and all the preaching. We're not paid that well, by the way. Just <laughs> If we're going to align ourselves on the Word of God, if we're going to get our church lined up on the Word of God, these verses in the passage have to be central, don't they? So Christ himself gave the apostles. What a, what a way to put that. He gave the apostles. He gave the New Testament prophets. He gave the evangelists. He gave the, oh, the pastors and the teachers. He gave them to the church to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. It, it, it isn't rocket science, is it? If you look back at chapter 2, verse 20, you've got your Bible, flick back and you'll have a look and you'll see that the, uh, the, uh, the apostles and the prophets, that they're the foundation of the church. And so um, it's, it's the evangelists and the apostles and teachers, they, they, they're given to the church and, and in order to encourage, in order to teach, and in, so that the, the body of Christ can be built up. In, in other words, if I may put it in this way, it's not just your pastors who are employed, but you're employed by Jesus Christ as well. You just don't get a salary from the church. It's the whole congregation that are meant to be ministering. It's all of us together. Now just... Just how this came home to me fairly recently, but it has happened to me a number of times over the years, and I've been sort of, I don't know, I've been going at this about 20 odd years somewhere there, 
And um, here's, here's what's happened on a number of occasions in a slightly different way. Someone, a, a, a brother in the church or a sister in the church brings their non-Christian friend to church. And they, they come and introduce their non-Christian friend to me. And they say, hi Paul, here's my friend. And then we have a chat. And, they, and then the, the, the Christian says, okay pastor, I've done my bit. I've brought them to church, I've got them here, now you teach them, you evangelize them, you disciple them, you do the whole thing. And off they go. Mm. I'm going to show you a picture. Let me change it up a little bit. I hope it's going to come up. Hmm? There we go. Now just, just hold on, hold on that for for a moment. Um, if we if we could just keep with our analogy of, of the church and, and soccer for a moment. If you don't understand soccer at all, that's okay. Chat to Estelle afterwards because she's really good. Um, but but here's here's the thing. If if we're going to sort of get get the church right using the analogy of a soccer game, um, who would be on the pitch? You you tell me now. Look. Who would be on the pitch? Who? The? Yeah, the, church, the, the body parts, right? It, it's, it's all the congregation members. They'll be uh, on the pitch. Who would the pastors and, you know, yeah, the pastors, let's go with the pastors. Where would they be? They'd be doing what? They'd be on the side. They'd be coaching and, and, and training and, and urging and encouraging and shouting from the outside, go, 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 and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and the pastors and the teachers, they would be encouraging the church to love each other and to love God and love the world and fight against the devil and sin and the flesh. Where, who's, sort of, who's in the stands? Yeah, the unbelieving world. It's, it's, the watching, un, it's the unbelieving watching family and it's the unbelieving watching local community and it's the unbelieving watching friends and it's the unbelieving watching colleague, colleagues. They're on the side and they, they're watching these body parts go all together. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm being a little bit unrealistic here. But if, if that really took hard you know that we would actually be have to tell people to stop coming to ministry. Do you know what I mean? We've got enough kids' church teachers. We don't need any more people on the mission team, okay? We, uh, hey? Plant a new church. Sister, preach it there. Preach it, sister. All right, so let me ask you. How do you really view your role in the church? Spectator or servant? Now, you've got to ask yourself this question. No one else can answer it for you. Spectator or servant? Consumer or contributor? You could say, but I'm a contributor, but is that only on your time? Or maybe when only suits you. Let me close with four, three actually, three very brief applications. So, 
in, in, in terms of growing, a body growing, we, we've got to grow in these humble, gentle, patiently forbearing relationships. We've got, to, we've got to grow in this gracious unity, both in the core and in the disputables. And then we've got to be growing as, as we're using our gifts more and more to serve one another. So let me finish with three applications. And here's the first one. And it's probably the most difficult. I want you to look at verse 15. It's speaking the truth in love. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, uh, to grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him. There it is. If, if, we, if we're going to be this mature body of Christ, we need to speak the truth in love. Now, let me just say to you that speaking the truth in love is a dangerous weapon if it's speaking the truth without love. But in the context of this maturing body, speaking the truth means that we're holding each other accountable in this maturity process. Speaking the truth into one another means that we're encouraging one another in this maturity process. And that means, if, if I can use an army term, if a body part's gone a little bit AWOL, we're prepared to speak into that. We're, we're, we're prepared to, to rebuke, if I may use such a strong word, in love. Let me put it this way. In other words, if we're not relating to each other humbly, graciously, gently, patiently, if, if, we're, not holding to the, if we're not holding the unity graciously in the church, and if we're not using our gifts for one another, we have to speak that truth into one another. That's what I've sought to do a little this morning from here. We will talk a little bit more about that at our members' ministry meeting not too far from now. So speak the truth in love. Let me give you the second one. Action. I'm not going to go over it too far, but I'm, I'm just going to say, is, is the Lord nudging you this morning? Is he giving you a little bit of a... I'm hoping it's more than a nudge. Now, are you willing? You may not be suited in all of these areas, but are you willing? Those are the areas. That's just some of the areas. I've got connect group leaders there. We, 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 we could probably double the size of our connect groups if we had the leaders, people willing. So I just put that to you. And, and, and if, if that's just speaking to you, if that's just, you know the Lord's talking to you, Holy Spirit's convicting you, just, just come and chat to me, Kids Church. Go chat to Tash. Um, I'll leave that with you. So I want to end with this. Could you uh, sort of just get my picture out of the way there? Thank you. I'm going to close with this prayer. And as I ask, I'm going to pray this prayer. And I, I have to pray this prayer. This is, this, is, this is me as well. So I want you to have a look at that prayer. I want you to read it for yourself for just a moment. I'm going to pray it out loud. And I'm going to invite you to pray it with me, not out loud, but just quietly in your own heart if you want to do that.
moments I've prayed. I'll ask the music team to come up. So bow with me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, by your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of your Holy Spirit, please help me to be prayerfully and joyfully obedient to your word. And so as a member of my church, in submission to the leadership, I pray, Father, that I will believe and proclaim the gospel that Jesus is my loving Saviour and my loving Lord. I will attend regularly my Sunday congregation in an appropriate midweek small group. Father, I will contribute my prayer, my time and my talents to our church life and outreach and give sacrificially for the gospel ministry of our church and its mission partners. It may not be an easy prayer for some of you to pray, and that's okay. Would you just, would you get your, with your heart before the Lord and wrestle this through with him? Music team, would you join me up front?